and thanks for joining us at the start of a brand new series, the book of Genesis. We're going to spend eight weeks in this book, just eight weeks, and then next year, at the same time, we'll come back to Genesis. So our preaching program is going to run sort of like over a three-year cycle, uh, but probably after seven or eight or ten years, you'll understand what I mean, because I don't really. Matt tries to explain it. But <clears throat> All right, so the book of Genesis. The word Genesis comes from the Greek origins. Uh, the Hebrew word for this book is Bereshit, which just comes from the, the Hebrew, which means beginning, in the beginning. And I'm going to begin by praying. And I'm going to uh, pray a very specific prayer based on what we read here. So let me read it to you, then I'll pray. Hopefully you're all there. It's easy to find. It's at the very start. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We're only going to look at three verses tonight. This is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Let's pray. We want to call upon the name of God. The one true creator God. And like we've just read, we ask that your Spirit will hover over us. As your Spirit hovered over the waters, when you created a brand new thing, we pray that your Spirit will hover over us. That through your Word, the same Word by which you created everything, that through that word you will create new life. Some of us are coming from much experience with Christian things. Some of us are new to these things. May all of us pay attention, think, humbly listen, and will you bring life out of darkness. We ask it in your name. Amen. Well, Genesis, the book of beginnings. Now, some of you may already know that in our family, we've just had a brand new beginning. We've got a new puppy. He, she, she, for, she, it. This thing is 12 weeks old. It's a little female cocker Daniel, pretty as a picture, little blonde, pretty thing. And so obviously, what do you call female blondes who are pretty? You call them Taylor. And that's what we called our dog, Taylor. And Australia really is a great country. I didn't know this about Australia. But did you know that you can buy a dog in installments in Australia? We paid cash for it, tons of cash, at least worth two carts. Um, but I love my wife. And so we bought this dog. And would you believe it? It comes in installments. The bodies come and we're still waiting for the brain, which hopefully will come one of these days. And to prove it to you, what my children do is they take a laser, you know those uh, funny little thingies, and you shine it and it's a red dot somewhere. You know that, laser? What my children do is they shine the laser on the floor and Taylor chases that thing. And she just keeps chasing that laser light. And it's a great way of exercising the dog while you watch TV or something because she just chases that thing. But of course, I tried the same thing on my children. So what I do is I shine a laser light, happily, because I don't see much of a difference between our puppy and our children. And would you believe it, the children don't chase the laser light. What they do instantly is, oh, come on, Dad, cut it out, grow up. You know, how come they look back? 
How can my children look back and don't chase the red dot? And it's quite a puzzle, really. It is a puzzle if you knew my children. But you know what this does? It illustrates a principle in the universe. Listen carefully. Understanding the source of something helps us to relate properly to that thing. To understand the source or the origin of something helps us relate properly to that thing. Where something comes from, if you understand where something comes from, you will understand that thing properly. The dog doesn't know where the laser light comes from, so he relates badly. He chases it. My children understand the source of the light, and they relate properly. They don't bother chasing it. They know it's dad being childish. Let me put it the other way. If you don't know the beginning of something, you'll never understand that thing. If you don't know the source of them, something, you won't be able to relate to it properly. And your life will be like my spaniel. You will be chasing dots. You will be chasing a whole lot of disconnected dots. In fact, you'll spend the rest of your life chasing the next bright thing that comes along. That's the only time Taylor stops chasing the bright thing is when something brighter comes along. And that is how you will live your life if you don't understand the source or the origin. My daughter doesn't understand the origin of things because we haven't told her yet because she's only eight. And so because she doesn't understand the origin of things, she doesn't relate properly to boys. And so one day me and Calvin, I think it was just me, but I'll feel better if I say Calvin as well. Me and Calvin are fooling, that's my son, fooling around in the car. And my little daughter, Kara, says, Dad, why are guys so dumb? Because <laughs> she doesn't understand the origin of things. I say, well, sweetheart, the only dumb thing I ever did was have children. And she was a bit harsh, I now realise in hindsight. <laughs> and then she says to me, Oh, Dad... It's not your fault mom fell pregnant. Because she doesn't understand the origin of things, she can't relate to her world properly yet. And folks, that's funny, but that's the source of so much pain, hurt, frustration and disappointment in the world is that we've got a whole lot of people who, because they don't understand the origin and the source, don't know how to relate properly. They don't know how to relate to each other. They don't know how to relate to the world we live in. And in fact, they don't even know how to relate to their own bodies because they don't understand the origin. What are you? What is your source? Are you a hairless monkey? Are you a banana? Just plus five billion years. That's all. You're a banana. Plus five billion years or something. Don't quote me on the dates because I don't know. That's my point. If you don't understand origin and source, you don't know how to relate, even to your own self. And what we end up doing is chasing laser dots. And so what we want to do in the series of Genesis is we're going to look at the bright dot, which is the world, us, who we are, but instead of chasing it, we're going to look back, like my children. And we're going to look at from where it comes. Because when we understand where it comes from, we'll be able to relate to it properly, profitably. Does it really matter? I mean, after all, Taylor's having great fun chasing the light. Does it really matter? Oh, yes and no. But how about this? You're sitting in the room, in the dark, happily, watching telly, and suddenly there's a bright dot on your wall. I reckon you'll react differently if you know the source. For example, if you know it's your six-year-old playing with your laser pen, you'll react one way. If you know it's a guy with a gun sitting outside in the dark in a car, and there's a laser light above your head, you might choose to react differently. And that makes all the difference in the world. 
And that's why we're studying the origin. And I hope to show you as we go through the series why it matters that you know where you come from. Alright, more introduction. So what is the origin of the universe? What is the origin of this? Let's ask the hard questions. Where did it all come from? That's a cool question. Where did it all come from? Well, I reckon, unless you're clever and you can help me, you've only basically got three options. Maybe you know a fourth. Do tell me afterwards. But I reckon if I boil it down and listen and read, and there are only three options. Number one, the universe has always existed. It has no source. It has no origin. The universe has always existed. Now I have to tell you that if you believe that, no offense, but you're absolutely alone. Because no one believes this anymore. Not in the scientific community, not in the religious community. No one thinks the universe is eternal. Why? Because we know that the universe had a beginning. Everyone knows that now. Only the ancient Greeks believed the universe was eternal. So if there's a guy wearing a dress here tonight, uh, like the ancient Greeks did, you, you really are alone in a number of ways. <laughs> so we can scrap that one. But scientifically, we can prove that the universe is not eternal. So you've got two other options. Where did the universe come from? Alright, here's another option. This option, well let me put it bluntly. It's this option. The universe made itself. The universe created itself. Scientists call this idea singularity. It's the majority view in science. Let me try and explain it to you. This is how the universe created itself. Are you ready? Because you might want to put your faith in this. Here's how it happened. Have a look in your Bibles and find a full stop. Can you see a full stop in your Bibles? Find a full stop. Now look at focus people on that full stop. In that little spot there are 500 million protons. I know because I counted. I checked. But in that little spot there are 500 million protons. Now what you need to do is take one of those protons. Just one and cut it down to one billionth of its size. Have you got that speck in your mind? Is it firmly in your mind? Now here's what you need to do. You need to take everything in the universe. I'm not just talking about Perth. There's more outside of Perth. I'm talking about Australia, the world, the Milky Way, the spiral Andromeda, every galaxy that you can show off a name. Take all of them, everything, and stuff it into that speck. What you've got there is singularity. Outside of that speck, there's no vacuum. There's no nothing. There's no... no you can't even talk about it. There's nothing. That's all there is. Is that speck. It's called singularity. And this is how the universe began. Are you ready? I'll read uh, a great popular way of stating it, Bill Bryson. This is what he said. Take that speck. And suddenly, in a single blinding impulse, a moment of glory much too swift and expansive for any form of words, the singularity assumes heavenly dimensions, space beyond conception. In less than a minute, the universe is a million billion miles across and growing fast. And in three minutes, it's astonishing how they know all this, and in three minutes, 98% of all matter that is and will ever be has been created. That's your second option. And you can choose to believe that. Although no wonder scientists can't tell us how to live. But there's a third option. And it's written in front of you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I have to tell you right up front 
That's the option I'm going for. By the way, it may be that God created through singularity. I really don't want to fight with Christians who choose to believe that. All I'm saying is what you can't leave out is that very important word. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You might say to me, Dwayne, well, there's a leap of faith if ever there was one. You're just going to choose. What happens if it said, Dwayne, in the beginning, Mickey Mouse created? Would you believe it still? No, I wouldn't. So why do you choose to believe this? Well, folks, I can prove it to you. Because at home, I've got a DIY chemistry set with little two. No, <laughs> I can't prove it to you. But here's why I believe it. Because there was a man called Jesus. And he said, this is the word of God. I'm entirely trusting. I know, I know. It's a risk. But I'm entirely trusting what that man said. Jesus said, this is the word of God. And therefore I believe it. Because he said so. How do I believe Jesus? Well, you'll have to take me to the dome. Because that's another old subject. But I think there's good grounds to trust Jesus. So I believe this about the Bible, that the source of the universe is God. But I'm still on my introduction. Here's what I want to say to all of you. I'm scared some of you have come with ripe tomatoes, ready for controversy. Christians love to divide from each other. It's a sad trait. If you've come hoping for controversy, you're probably going to be disappointed. Because actually, this passage does not tell us everything we would like to know. It tells us everything we need to know. Remember what I said. The purpose of the book of Genesis is to tell us origin and source so that we can relate properly to our universe. The purpose of Genesis is not to answer all our questions. The answers are not all in Genesis. Because it doesn't tell us everything. There are massive gaps in the account. Because the Bible is only this thick. Would you prefer it this thick? How well then will you have a quiet time? It's only this thick. It doesn't tell us everything. Some Christians want to make this say more than it does. And some, even more sadly, want to make it say less than it does. What we're going to do, as best as we can, is confine ourselves to what it's trying to tell us. The message of Genesis. And the message will help us relate properly to ourselves, to others, and to the universe as a whole. And so for today, I've only got three points. There they are. Three things we are going to learn. Three things that I believe are the message of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and 3. Here's the message. Three things. God is eternal. God is all-powerful, creator of everything. God exists eternally in three persons. That's the message of verse 1, 2, and 3. And, and Actually, there's probably more, but uh, I don't want to bore you. All right, let's have a look at it. First of all, God alone is eternal. Have a look with me at those opening words. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The Bible begins with God. That little phrase, in the beginning, it's one word in the Hebrew, that little phrase, in the beginning, tells us that God is eternal. Oh, how do you see that? Well, it's easy, because God was in the beginning. This little phrase, in the beginning, God, tells us that God has always, always existed. There was never a time, no matter how far back you go, when God was not there. Because in the beginning, God. Look, in the beginning, 
God. Yeah, yeah, Dwayne. But what about here? No, no. In the beginning, God. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. What about here? Well, in the beginning, God. It's a phrase that's saying no matter how far back you go, God. In the beginning, God. He was always there. Always there, which raises the first and obvious question. Who created God? Isn't that a cool question? Who caused God? Well, folks, just stop and think about the question. Let me ask you a question. What colour is the equator? Not all questions are green. <laughs> no, it's blue if you go across the Pacific. Hey, listen. Not all questions are good ones. Listen. In the beginning, God tells me that God is eternal and therefore he has no creator. Only things that have a beginning have a cause. Whatever doesn't have a beginning, logically, doesn't have a cause. And therefore God has no cause. He has no creator. The ancient Greek philosophers like Plato used to call God the unmoved mover. Because no matter how far back you go, everything has a cause. Everything. Until you meet the one who was in the beginning. God is eternal. Here is the cause of everything. And a number of implications flow from that first point that God is eternal. First of all, we play Scrabble. Now, here's a, if you do play Scrabble, please write this down. Here is the coolest word. The word is aseity. A-S-E-I-T-Y. And when you put it down in Scrabble and they complain, because they will, say, well, why don't you come to church? Because then you'll learn cool words like aseity. But the reason I'm using it is because it's such a great word when you understand what it means. It's from the Latin ablative form. It means of himself. From himself. Aseity. Because God is eternal, what that means is that God is absolutely self-sufficient. Completely self-contained. Completely self-sufficient. His existence flows from himself. He doesn't need Anything. Nothing at all. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you to be good. You're not helping God by being good. You're not detracting from God by being bad. God doesn't need you to be a Christian. God doesn't need your worship. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need anything from you. He is absolutely content, self-contained. He doesn't grow and he doesn't shrink. And every Sunday God takes a tally of all the Christians and he feels powerful. And then during the week, you know, he's absolutely, well, his characteristic is a satiety. He's eternal. He is the eternal one. Where were you ten trillion years ago? doesn't need you. He was happy. In the beginning, God tells us that he's eternal and self. Another cool word, uh, I thought I was just throw it out there, is the word contingent. God has no contingent needs. He exists in and of himself. Not only is God in and of himself, but God, and here we get a little bit closer, God alone is relevant. Because he's eternal, because of that, in the beginning God, God is relevant. And here's the thing, God alone is relevant. God alone matters. Only God matters. Oh, that's a heavy thing to say. We already know, Dwayne, you don't like your children. But it, I mean, that is a bit of a heavy... Well, let me try and explain what I mean. Guys, 
girls, all of you. Anything that is not eternal is eternally irrelevant. Isn't that obvious? Anything that is not eternal is eternally irrelevant. Did you know that Napoleon survived without an iPhone 5? You might think something is relevant, highly relevant. You only have to wait five or ten years. You'll see how irrelevant it becomes. Anything that's not eternal is eternally irrelevant. God is the most important thing. I know you've been alive for 92 years and that's not your experience. Well, being alive 92 years, you have not long to go when you see for yourself that it's true. That God alone matters. Yes, I know, some things do matter to us for a while, but after five, ten years, a hundred years, they don't matter anymore, do they? One day, even breathing won't matter to you. Because death makes everything irrelevant. God is eternal. He alone is relevant. Wow. Maybe God's bigger than we thought. Oh, I know. Hey, man. Dwayne, did you know there are seven billion people on this planet? Seven billion people? I think that's awfully important. And I think God better sit up and take notice. Well, let me tell you what God says. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, God says this, All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Maybe he's big. You see, if God suddenly removed seven billion people, if God suddenly undid their existence, poof, seven billion people disappeared, what would you have? A commission of inquiry? There would be nothing but a silent universe. No complaints, no recriminations, and God will be eternal. As he is, as he was, as he always will be. He alone is relevant. And the fact that God is eternal is the starting point of all our theology. Cool word, just means our understanding of God. Those words, in the beginning, God, is the start of all our understanding of God. Whether we're dealing with happy, easy things, or whether we're dealing with hard things, like predestination or something hard. The point is, it starts with God. Notice the Bible does not say, in the beginning, man. Did you see that? It doesn't say that. Because man is not the measure of all things. It doesn't say, in the beginning, God and man. It simply says, in the beginning, God. God alone. Which also tells us that this book, the rest of this book here, is all about God. There's lots of characters in the book, some bad ones, some good ones, but there's only one star, only one subject, and that is this God. Now, at this point, some of you might want to leave, and I I feel that, and I appreciate that, because you're feeling small. Well, I've come to a church. Hey, can we have a sermon next week on self-esteem? But here's the point. Listen carefully, folks. In fact, let me make it worse for you. We said at our church we're not going to throw anything. eh? We all said that, remember. Folks, if that is true, if God is eternal, let me just say it, and at least my wife will still love me. If that is true, then your life only matters insofar as you know that God. Actually, insofar as that God knows you. If you don't know that God, 
If He doesn't know you, you are irrelevant. We find our significance, our identity in the eternal God. It's then when we become eternally significant. Because we connected to the eternal God. In the beginning, God tells me how to find significance. How to find my identity. It's in the eternal God. And being known by Him. See, if you don't know this God, it's a question I often ask. Some of you probably heard me ask it before. If you don't know this God, I've got a real question for you. I'm not being cheeky. Who do you think you are? If you don't know this God, who do you think you are? It's a real question. Are you a banana? Give or take five billion years? Teenagers struggle with identity and they go from nice to emo to goth to metalhead to happy hippie. They go through all these identities. Grown-ups do it as well, trying to find our identity. You're never going to find who you are and what you're looking for until you connect with the eternal God because he alone is eternally significant. God is eternal. More about that later. Secondly, God is all-powerful creator of everything. So look at what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, there is a massive chasm in that sentence. In the beginning, God. And then, there is an infinite chasm between that and the next phrase, created the heavens and the earth. Why do I say that? Because, friends, that's a little bit philosophical tonight, isn't it? Did you all have a Coke or something? Because, listen, there are no degrees of existence. Let me say that again. There are no degrees of existence. You either exist or you don't. I know you wake up on a Monday morning and you think you half exist. But you do exist. You are really, really there. You either exist or you don't. And in the beginning, God, existence, the God who is there, created everything else. Here's the point. Absolutely everything was created by God. Everything that is and ever will be has been made by God. Nothing existed prior to that word created. By the way, the word is bara. It's the Hebrew word. It's only ever used of God. And it's talking about the creating power of God. Nothing existed prior to God. Please don't think God wears a massive apron and he's the cleaning lady. And he came to a universe in chaos and he tidied it up and made it pretty. He is the God who brought into existence things out of nothing. He created out of nothing. In the beginning, God, chasm, created everything. The heavens and the earth. There's a funny Latin phrase for this. It means ex nihilo. It's just Latin. And it simply means out of nothing. God created out of nothing. This is the God who is so powerful that he creates things and brings them into existence out of non-existence. Folks, which I, I just can't help saying is the most encouraging thing in all. Because that tells me that God can make a Christian out of anybody. God can make a Christian out of anybody. Because here is the God who can bring things out of nothing. See, you and I never create. All we do is reshape, remold, 
redesigned stuff that's already there. But God doesn't. He brings out of nothing. The power, I mean the power to understand this is immense. Let's look at some of the implications of the fact that God made everything. Here are some implications. Number one, it tells me the fact that God created the heavens and the earth, which means everything by the way, the heavens and the earth, the fact that he did that tells me that he is sovereign. Absolutely sovereign. Do you all know what sovereign means? Here's what sovereign means. God does as God feels. Bad way of putting it, I suppose. God does whatever He pleases. God does whatever He pleases because He made it all. He made it all. And so in the Bible, God teaches the prophet Jeremiah this. And He says, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and I will tell you my words. So off goes Jeremiah to the potter's house. You can read this in Jeremiah 18. And when he gets there, he sits down and he watches the potter. Oh, a bit boring, but God told me to, so there you go. And it's not a very good potter, because what the potter does is he makes something, and oh, it goes wrong. Apparently, if any of you have watched Ghost, I mean, how old is that? It can go horribly wrong very quickly. So maybe the potter put his finger in it and it all went skew or something. But the potter makes it wrong, and so he squishes it up, throws it away, grabs it, and starts again. And just as he starts again, and just as Jeremiah is probably dozing off, God says, this is my word. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? Can I not do with you as this potter has done? I can do whatever I want. This idea is followed into the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 9, we read this, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? That's an astonishing thing. You never think of God having rights, do you? We always talk about human rights. My right. My right. Here's what the Bible says. Has the potter no right over the clay? God has got rights. His right is to do whatever he wants. Why? Because he made it all. He brought it out of nothing. He brought it out of non-existence. Therefore, he has the right to do whatever he wants to. Absolute right. Let's play a game. Let's decide. Maybe you think that kite surfing and surfing is too macho and you want to get in touch with your feminine side. So you decide to take a pottery. That's a nice girly thing to do. My, my apologies to any guys here who went to a pottery. And so you buy a piece of clay. And you go home and you put it on the spinny thing and you spin it, however you do it, and you mould a vase. Pretty little vase. You paint it pink. And then you put it in the hallway of your house. There's your vase. And you stand back. I'm, I made that. And you put it in the hallway so that all the visitors ask, ah, who made that pink vase? And you can say, I did. Suddenly the vase says, wait a minute. I, I don't want to be in the hallway. I, I want to be in the lounge. And you stand back rather perplexed. And the vase says, I don't want to be pink. I want to be blue. And as you're thinking about the implications of this, there's a knock at the door. It's the police from the anti-vase discriminatory board. And you think, this is extraordinary. And next thing, you're before the judge. And you've violated the rights of your vase. Now you might say, see, that's ridiculous. What a silly story. Folks, God says, that he's got more right to do what he wants with you than a potter has over his vase. It's not a story I made up. Yeah, I made up the hole and the pink bit. But it's a story that God gives. He says he has more rights over you than a potter has over his pottery. Now, you may not like that. You may balk at that idea. Can I help you? 
Create your own universe. Then you can do what you want. But until then, you're trespassing. Because he made it all. And he has the right to do as he pleases. God is the sovereign ruler over everything. Not only that, the implication of the fact that God created everything also means that God is unique. He has no rivals and no challenges. Folks, this idea that poor old God and poor old devil are having this ding-dong over the souls of men, you won't remember because I'm so old, but Kusterberg once wrote a song about it. You don't even know who that is, but I'm old. It's not true. God has no rivals. He has no challenges. I'm not saying there isn't a devil. Of course I believe in the devil. But he's no challenge to God. He does as God pleases, as God determines. There is no yin and yang. When I was a young surfer, one of the trendy labels was town and country. You know, you had a little black germ and a little white germ and they connected with each other into a square with one eye. You know, yin and yang. They are the eternal principle of good and the eternal principle of bad and hopefully like Lord of the Rings in the end the hobbits will save us or something. <laughs> Folks, it's not true. There is only God for he is the all-powerful creator of everything. Evil does not have the power to create. Evil only has the power to distort what is already there. God makes it good, evil twists it. Evil can't create. It has no creative power. God alone has creative power. That's why in this regard, ooh, I'm going to use a word, but I want you to hear it in context. That's why in this context, dealing with this subject, I am a Calvinist. No, there are things about Calvinism I don't agree with. So please, hear me. Oh, please, you all send me an email tomorrow. But I see God behind every bush. Because he made it all. Some people see the devil behind every bush. I see God behind every bush. And even if you can prove it to me and grab me by the wing nut, pull me to the bush and say, look, Dwayne, it is the devil, I'll go, ah, God must have put him there. For a good reason, I take it. Because he alone is the powerful creator of everything. He is utterly unrivaled. He has no competition. Thirdly, and finally, I've saved the best for last. You know, up to this point, if I drew a line here, most Jewish people would completely agree with me. Oh, I'll never give a hand, but most would agree. If I drew a line here, most Muslims would agree with me, more or less. That's normal monotheistic belief. But now we come to something where we have to draw a line. And I'm sorry to say it, we're absolutely in the minority. Only Christians believe this. Because what these verses show us is that there is more to God than meets the eye. Let's play a game. I'll read it to you. You tell me what you can see. Look closely. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of deep. And the Spirit of God, oh, where did he come from? Was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Before anything was made, you've got God, the Spirit of God, and the Word of God in the beginning. In other words, the hint here for us is that within the one God, there's only one God. We totally agree with Muslims. There's only one God. But what we learn here is that within that one God, there's some sort of plurality. God is a complex being. There's a plurality. And up to this point, up to verse 3, we don't understand it. We want to ask questions. Wait a minute, what's Spirit of God, Word of God, 
God? How, how does this all come together? Well, here's how it comes together. As we go through the Bible, we find out that that word, and God said that word, became flesh. The word became a man. The word became a man and revealed God to us. Now, I'm running ahead, but I want you to stay with me. Here's the point. What this tells us is that God is personal. He speaks a word. It is in the nature of persons to speak. And God speaks the universe into being. Have you asked yourself, why does God speak the universe? All the way through, look at verse 3, and God said, verse 6, and God said, Uh, Verse 9, and God said. Verse 11, and God said. Verse 14, and God said. 20, and God said. Why does God speak the universe into being? What a funny idea. When this was written, it was unrivaled as it is today. You read other ancient accounts of the creation of all things and they're weird. The Gilgamesh epic says that God sneezed and what came out of his nostril was the earth. Here is a God, that's true. Here is a God, it's not true, that's what it really says, is what I mean. (laughs) Here is a God who speaks. Why? Why doesn't it say, and God, with his hands, formed this? Here's why. Because when people speak, they reveal themselves. It's in the nature of a person to reveal themselves. And God, by speaking the universe into being, is doing what? He's revealing himself. He's disclosing himself. Here is God who is a person, three persons, revealing himself by creating. Why did God create? Why did God make everything, by the way? The answer is to make himself known, to reveal himself. When you walk along the beach and you look at the sky and the trees and the ocean, you're supposed to think, hey, someone's trying to tell me something. That's what you're supposed to think. When your newborn baby, your first one, pops out and you tremble and you hold this thing, you're supposed to think, somebody's trying to tell me something. Well, and a lot of things, but... My point is, the all of creation shouts at you that there is a God who is a three-personed God who wants to be known. He's revealing himself. When I began, you might have felt a bit small, insignificant. But here's something interesting. Well, let's cut to the chase. Why do you exist? I actually ask myself sometimes about some of you, what's going on? Why do you exist? But seriously, why do you exist? Why do you exist? Can I tell you? Write it down so that you never forget. Here's the point of your existence. Quite a bold statement, don't you think? Imagine if your teacher at school said, to class, write this down, this is why you exist. Pretty bold statement, but I'm going to tell it to you. You exist to hear God's word and to relate to him. That's why you exist. He made you to know him so that you relate to him. And outside of that, you have no relevancy. You have no significance. But this is dark. It's hidden. It's not that clear. When you take this passage and you run it through the Bible, as it grows and the story grows, you come to fresh expressions of this. And I want to turn to that tonight as a last point. Come with me to 1 John, chapter 1. 1 John, not the Gospel John. 1 John. It's pretty much at the end of your Bible. So we're going from the beginning and we're going all the way to the end. Just before the book of Revelation is a funny little book called Jude. 
And before that are the three letters of John. Have a look at 1 John chapter 1. I said to you that God created through his word, which means he relates to his universe through words. That word became a man and fully reveals God to us. Watch how this was picked up in 1 John verse 1, chapter 1 verse 1. Are you all there? And we'll close with this. That which was from the beginning, i.e. in the beginning. He's picking up the same language. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands. In other words, the word was not something you just heard now. It's something that they saw with their eyes. It's something they touched with their hands concerning the word of life. This life was made manifest. And we've seen it. And we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. Because if you connect with that God, you will have eternal life. Because you become eternally relevant. Eternal life. Now, what's the surprise? Which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Oh, what we learn is that God now is a father. And that the word, when he comes, is a son. Look how it carries on. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Here's the point. It's about relating. We're back to my laser light at the end of the sermon. Sign of a good sermon. We're back to where we started. It's the laser light. By understanding the origin and source of everything, we relate. Now we have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, who cares? Well, verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our, or your, joy may be complete. Folks, I'm trying to sell you happiness. It's about joy. You're not going to find it anywhere else until you connect with the source, the origin, the eternal God who is the Father and whose word became a man, the Son, Jesus Christ. And as you connect and have fellowship with Him, your joy is complete. Ask any Christian here, they'll tell you. Until you connect with this God, your joy will be incomplete. You might have little happy cart surfs here and there, little joys, but they won't be complete. You will never find what you're looking for until you find Him. Any questions? Anyone got any questions? Anyone? Oh, Nathan. 